In 2002, Australian Kate Blanchett was cast in the title role in Joel Schumacher's film of the same name. While filming, Blanchett spoke to Miles Dungan for Rattlebag on a rainy Tuesday morning in Dorky. In a good-humoured conversation, which occasionally veered from forthright to flinty, Kate spoke to Miles about her work. But first, here's how Veronica Guerin's death was reported on the 26th of June, 1996. This is Miles Dungan here with Wednesdays, today at 5. Investigative journalist Veronica Guerin is cut down in a professional... Investigative journalist Veronica Guerin has been shot dead. Ms Guerin, who wrote for the Sunday Independent, was shot dead in her car near the Green Isle Hotel at Clondalkin in South County, Dublin, at about one o'clock this afternoon. Gather sources say two men... Her car, a red Opel Calibra, was stopped at the traffic lights there and two men approached on a white motorbike. They drew up and the pillion passenger shot her. We believe there was about five or six... I really thought that I was... I really thought I was going to be murdered. I thought that I was... that that was it. That I... I really thought I was going to be killed. Uh, I'm profoundly shocked uh, at the murder of Veronica Guerin. Uh, And so is everybody in this house. Now, Veronica uh, was a good friend, a good friend of mine. Uh, I knew her well uh, from the time we both lived in our Tame 20 years ago. The best tribute we can pay to her life and to her work is to redouble our efforts in the defence of Irish democracy. Somebody was certainly angered by something I had written, but I... Until that moment, I never, even though shots had been fired into the house in October, I never, ever, ever believed that my life was in danger. Sadly, as we know, she couldn't have been more wrong. That was Veronica Guerin talking about an earlier attempt on her life. Australian film star Kate Blanchett has been in Ireland for the last number of months, making a film on the life of Veronica Guerin. Blanchett is the star of movies such as Elizabeth and Charlotte Grey. We spoke and I asked her what it was that drew her to the story of the life of Veronica Guerin. I'm always interested in things that I don't know much about. And I think always at the end of a film I realise how little I do know. You know, you only get to scratch the surface. I'd seen the 60 Minutes report, um, Veronica, and obviously had known Joel from before and wanted to work with him for quite some time. And uh, he said that he was making making the... um, a story about a film about her, and I, I read an early draft of the script, and I was fascinated, and then began to trawl through reams and reams and reams of articles she'd written and that were written about her subsequent to her death, and um, all the video um, and television interviews she gave. But for me, the most um, interesting thing was listening to her on radio, because I think the power of radio is that you're not distracted by visuals, and just the conviction of her voice and the passion with which she spoke about what it was that she was doing, I was compelled by it. Did you read many of her articles, follow, or get hold of many of her articles and follow many of her of her campaigns? Um, interesting that you use the word campaigns, because I think that's what they've been sort of described as subsequent to her death. But I did, in relation to the the script, because the script deals with a very specific time in her life, like really kind of the last three or four years of her life, when she was primarily reporting on drugs, or that's what people were interested in knowing her as. I think she probably would have been uh, quite annoyed if people had referred to her as a a crime reporter. She was an investigative journalist, and um, it was great for me to 
to watch her um, on, on television and to read the breadth of her articles because she wrote about a number of different subjects. Do you think that she was very courageous as a journalist? Do you think perhaps that at times she was too courageous, perhaps even verging on reckless? Um, I find it those questions not particularly useful as an actor, uh, particularly in relation to Veronica. She operated in a very male environment, which the media is, and I think that those labels would not even be considered if she was a man and if she was a war correspondent. Uh, I think that she was working at the coalface of a very violent subject matter and I think once you unlock the, the door and see what is there, if you have uh, the courage of your conviction as she did and are a passionate individual as she was, you cannot help but step through the door. And I think once you do, there's no turning back. Because I think the more public you become, or she became, the more pressure there is from people who are inactive, who aren't doing anything about it. They, need, they needed her to continue. Um, and she became a figure for people. And so I think it would be very hard to step back from what she was doing. And also I think she, was, she had a very strong sense of moral out outrage that nothing was being done about an enormous problem that was in Dublin, you know, that is around the world, globally politicians you know are frightened to address it so you just sweep it under the carpet a lot of irish journalists i think have asked themselves the question whether publicly or in 99 percent of the cases privately would i have done what she did would mm -hmm. i have had the courage to do what she did and take the risks that she did as an actor did you ever ask yourself the same question or is that even relevant to 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 what you do um look she lived it i'm acting it um and I think there's an enormous difference. I'm not, I do believe in the power of culture and therefore what I do to change the collective consciousness. I mean, I do think it has value. But in terms of um, operating in, a, you know, the way that, that, in the passionate way that she did, of course, I, I asked myself, could I do the same thing? I mean, I said that when I was playing Charlotte Grey, who went undercover mm. in France, you do have to ask yourself those questions. And the, the thing I keep coming up with is you never know. And I think that people, when they talk about Veronica, saying she was reckless to continue, but we say this with hindsight, and we ask ourselves the question, could I have done this in the hindsight of, of knowing what happened to Veronica? She didn't have that, uh, that ability. Uh, I think she, was, she simply did what she felt had to be to be done and I know as an actor um, you know people talk about it in my small way about what it's like to be in the public eye and how do you did you always want this and people assume that you do and I never did it's just that one thing leads to another and you find yourself in a certain place and so I think Veronica started somewhere and before she knew it she was at the center of something incredibly powerful and dangerous and provocative and um, she had to to swim out of the rip so to speak to, to get to, to dry land. It's just that she never got to dry land again. What kind of a sense did you get of her from talking to members of her family? Because I know Jimmy Gearn, for example, has been mm -hmm. uh, a collaborator and uh, cooperated with, with this whole project. What I found fascinating and what was a starting point, I think, for me was the various different, uh, often conflicting versions of who Veronica was. Everyone had a version of the quintessential version of Veronica. And I found that fascinating. And for me, what seemed to be at the heart of it was that she was able to uh, 
equip herself to be all things to all people. I think she had an incredible reserve of energy and um, the level of commitment she had to her relationships, both personal and professional, was awe-inspiring. Um, and, I mean, I think that there's people who were very jealous of Veronica, people who were very proud of Veronica, people who were frightened of Veronica, people who um, admired her, and people who passionately loved her. Um, so I think in amongst all those differing versions of her lies who she was, but having never met her, I have second-hand versions and anecdotes to go on and also the public face. And I, just, I know from doing interviews, like sitting here now, it's only an aspect of me because I'm talking about a particular subject. So my voice changes, my mannerism changes, the way I uh, speak changes. It's much more direct, um, perhaps less playful than I would be. And I think that that's what one gets when one hears Veronica talking about um, what she did or when th she's on the question, question and answers program on television. It's a very specific physical expression that I see of her. So that is the but starting that, that's point. That's our image of her. Mm. That's all we know of her because we and when, she, when she closed the front door we didn't see that Veronica exactly. when she was drinking with her friends we didn't see that Veronica no and neither did I mm. I mean I didn't even meet her on a professional level so and also I mean it is uh, a story a particular aspect of her life so therefore uh, I have that 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 public uh, professional thing to go on that aspect of her and the rest is uh, the starting point for my imagination and for the you know for the, for this particular story to be to be told um, yeah does it worry you that the name of Veronica Guerin is used in the film that you know it could have been even slightly fictionalized and then you wouldn't necessarily have been playing somebody who is so well known at least in this culture and is was so visible and is so familiar but why people. why would that be worrying i mean that i think by asking that question it's it's ignoring the fact that we are it's it is a work of fiction and i don't understand the uh, the people's need to perceive film or misunderstanding of what the genre actually is. I mean, we've got this the whole notion that um, with handheld camera and with using people who aren't actors, we get so close to what is what is truth, what is naturalism. It, by the fact that you are 30 feet high, you, I mean, it, it takes on epic proportions. It takes on a different quality than if you met someone face-to-face. -face. So... It is a work of fiction. It will always be a work of fiction because it's simply by juxtaposing various events, true and imagined, against one another, you create a different reality. If you rearrange those events, you'd be telling a different story. And as I said, I think as Veronica is so complex that you could tell her story, uh, whatever her story is, a thousand different ways. Um, and I don't shy away from that. I mean, I am not Veronica. Um, that is the point. Um. But in your physical appearance, you look like her. I gather uh, from talking to people, the mimicry, if you like, that aspect of it, you have down to a T that uh, many people think you are Veronica Guerin. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, I Look, it's my job to have um, an impression of her, obviously, and um, to get as close to that as possible. But 
as I say, all I have to go on is the the public expression of her physicality, of the way she, her syntax, her rhythm, her um, the timbre of her voice, um, and that's where the radio interviews were very helpful. Her hesitations, which for me were fascinating, because then researching what it was she was writing about and what was going on behind the scenes, what she didn't say was fascinating. You know, because I, I thought she hesitates so much. She, you know, chooses her words incredibly carefully and qualifies things because she was dealing with things that even she, she couldn't talk about at all to anyone. Can you give us any specific examples? I think, I think she was, when she was talking about... She was obviously talking about Hutch and she had to phrase the sentence, as I am now trying to remember, um, in, a, in a way that she was omitting certain facts that could have been incriminating or that she may have made some tacit agreement with him that he, she wouldn't have mentioned certain things. So she was always um, quite political, I think, in the way she was discussed what it was she was writing. And she was a journalist, you know, she didn't want to give everything away. Her story is a, is, a, is a fantastic story and in many instances many filmmakers make a number of different attempts to film aspects of different stories. Were you conscious coming here that one attempt had already been made to film the Veronica Guerin story, albeit in a slightly fictionalised way, and it hadn't come up, it hadn't been, or at least it hadn't been successful in box office terms? Did that concern you? Or? Um, I hadn't seen it and hadn't heard about it till this project had come about but I think it's just testament to the fact that the story is compelling and a lot of people want to tell it. That somebody would want to have another go. Yeah and I mean the other thing is you go you go into a film uh, or you know a piece of theatre wanting it to reach out to people and to touch people and to affect people and for them to be interested you cannot guarantee that that is going to happen we can't guarantee that either I mean you know, I hope people are compelled by the story. You know, but in, invariably, you do lay yourself wide open when you play someone who actually existed for saying she wasn't like that. But I've met people before I even began to play her who said that when that the, that book that was written about her, or that article that was written about her, or when that person said that thing about her, it wasn't true. And so there's a myriad of contradictions. And I think it's like playing Elizabeth the First. You know, there's many different. Um, You're not going to have anybody coming up and tapping well, you on the show and say she wasn't <laughs> like that. I remember her. Except there's a myriad of historians who are going to. Um, but I mean, I do think that it's it's a very, very important part of um, Irish, a recent Irish culture. Um, what what happened to Veronica and what she tried to achieve, and so it's an incredibly important subject. So. I mean, I, I hope it does reach out and people do see it. You're nearly finished. Uh, the film, as we as we talk, the film hasn't quite wrapped, but is about to. Have you enjoyed it? Have you enjoyed working in Dublin? Have you enjoyed working with Joel Schumacher, working with your co-stars? Yes, 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 I think is the Thank answer. Thank you. <laughs> we pass on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, what's it been like as an experience? Uh, I have an incredible respect for Joel because he has an incredible respect for everyone he works with. And there's nothing better to work with a director who trusts their cast and crew because it makes you want to try things and Joel has made some enormous films um, but he's also particularly recently made smaller films like this one so he he's sort of somehow like very few directors forms a hybrid between those two types of films so I think he's he's 
I mean, what the art department has done on a really small budget has been extraordinary. I think everyone, he makes everyone want to raise their game. We moved on to talk about the rest of her career and I asked her how someone with a degree in fine arts and economics in Melbourne University graduated into acting. By default, I think. I never took it seriously, I don't think, but I kept doing it. So I auditioned for drama school uh, in my second year, I think it was, of university. And much to my astonishment, I got in. And um, You had worked as an extra, I think, hadn't you? In no, Egypt. no, no. I think I've, I'm basically, I've got three anecdotes, and I just tell them over and over again. So it's, no, I travelled through Egypt and, and um, ended up, they paid five Egyptian pounds, which would pay for my accommodation for a week. So I walked off the set. It was really boring. I had absolutely no desire to, to work in film, actually, to be frank. I was The most powerful experiences I'd had as an adolescent and as a child were in the theatre. I wasn't someone who sat home and, and trawled over old movies. Um, you speak to a lot of people that are obsessed with film and with actors and you know, cinematographers. I am now, but that is uh, a byproduct of having worked in film. And did you go into it? You have been quoted as saying you went into it because actors have the power to move people. Was that a consideration at the time or is that something that retrospectively became a consideration? I don't think one ever... I mean, this is why I can sort of understand Veronica, I suppose, in a strange way, is I don't... When you're doing things, when you're you're running 100 miles an hour and living your life, you don't stop and think every five seconds, what motivates me? Why have I done this? You simply progress from one thing to the next. And it's sort of every five, ten years that you you pause to reflect. Um, and I think that, for, for me, yes, I do believe the power of um, culture to move people, and it's incredibly important. But I don't know whether that is the thing that... I don't know, maybe it's the desire to show off. Who knows? It changes day to day. <laughs> I think that one's connection with work... It always needs to be flirtatious. And so I always reserve the right to walk away from it after every job. I think that's it. No more affairs. I mean, that's, that's the way I treat it. That affair is over. The Veronica Guerin affair is closed and I'm going, I'm going to sort of knit socks. Of course, it never happens. But I, I, that's the way I maintain my, my love relationship with work, my fascination with it, I think. What kind of theatre did you do when you started off? I and mean, I know you did uh, Carol Churchill, you did Top Girls, mm-hmm. and Oleana, I think, with, with Jeffrey Rush. Yeah. So that was just the two of you, wasn't it? Would have been. Yeah, yeah. That was um, in my first year out of drama school. Um, That's a pretty good way to start. Oh, look, unbelievable. I'd long admired Jeffrey, of course. Me and half the planet. <laughs> well, all of the planet, really, let's face it. Um, and that was an incredible experience for me. And very... Um, a huge turning point, I think. Yeah. In terms of your film career, I think your international breakthrough was with Gillian Armstrong's Oscar and Lucinda. Tell me about tell me about getting that part because you had I mean you'd done some film work before that as a as a as a lead up to it. Not really. I was in a production of um, The Tempest with Company B, uh, and at the same time I was doing that, I was in a a 12-part television series where I was playing an Italian albino. And so I looked very strange. <laughs> and Jill, I think, had a hard time convincing the, the studio executives that this this sort of albino-looking girl could play Lucinda. So um, I then finished doing The Tempest and finished doing this television thing, got my eyebrows and my hair back, and they cast me. <laughs> so it was... I'd... I'd um, 
been cast in Paradise Road by Bruce Beresford, which is sort of the first film I made, really. And um, from that, which was also a Fox film, so I suppose it's political, really. I was cheap. <laughs> well, um, uh, I mean, Ray Fiennes would have been the, would have been the star, or at least he would have been better known than you at the oh, time. Oh God, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, there wouldn't have been quite as much pressure, perhaps, on you. Was it? And, and so, in that sense, could it be a more enjoyable experience? Well, I also met and fell in love with my husband when I was making it. So that helped. Yes, it did. Um, it was a, it was a privilege to work with Rafe, and I think that. What I have taken away from that, apart from obviously the things one learns, the skills one learns, is that it's just the preservation of your anonymity on set so that you you don't bring the baggage of what has gone on before and what job you're going on to next. It's simply that experience. I didn't expect to sort of work again after Oscar and Lucinda. And as I say, I sort of I stop working every time I work. Gillian Armstrong as a director, a good person. I mean, OK, you started with Bruce Beresford, but mm-hmm. a, a good person to, to continue with, yeah? It was interesting going back uh, and working with Jill again. I realized, On Charlotte Grey. Yes, on Charlotte Grey. I realised uh, how much I'd actually learnt, I think, just technically. It's just by the sheer fact of doing it, of, of working in a film. Also, with Oscar and Lucinda, it's... One of the great, one of the great novels, but it's also one of the great Australian novels. So it mm-hmm. must be, it must be good for you as an Australian, because I think you're a very patriotic Australian, to be involved in that kind of a project, which is is such an Australian project. Yes, I mean it's interesting though that Peter Carey um, lives in New York, and I think that distance enables him to write novels like Oscar and Lucinda and uh, The True History of the Kelly Gang, which I think is, if you haven't read it, folks, buy it and read it. It's astonishing. And there's quite a number of uh, Irish lads who have gone over to, to, to be in the film with Ned Kelly, obviously not from the Peter Carey novel, but that's a great story too. Oscar and Lucinda was a major film in terms of the filmmaking community but the role as Queen Elizabeth and Elizabeth really I think catapulted you into the big time didn't it? See here we are talking in hindsight again uh, I didn't go, when, it's interesting that people talk about it that way, I guess yes it did, absolutely and um, you know the opportunity to, to play it was extraordinary and um, you know I'll never forget it and the ramifications have been huge for me professionally but at the time it felt like this weird Bollywood experimental bizarre film that we were making that no one would ever see. And that's what I love is that you cannot, cannot go into a film with the outcome in mind. And what disturbs me sitting here talking about Veronica Guerin while we're still making it is that there's this terrible sense that you, you need to be selling a film before you've even made it before you've edited it, before you know what it is as a beast. And um, I, I, I find that increasingly hard because I think the more you do, the more you're expected to do that, which is counterproductive, I think, to the, the kind of the, the secrecy, I guess, in a, in a healthy way, a secrecy of, of the atmosphere that, that has to be on set because it has to be a... You have to reserve the right to fail, although I'm sure not many studio heads would agree with me. <laughs> But I'm just curious in the way you approach a part 
um, Elizabeth I, you must have been aware, maybe you weren't, I don't know, of the Glenda Jackson series, Elizabeth R. And I'm just curious, from your point of view, whether the, there would have been a temptation to try and get hold of a copy of that and look at it and watch Glenda Jackson playing Queen Elizabeth, or whether under no circumstances, even if somebody put a gun to your head, would you, would you watch her portrayal of somebody that you were going to portray? Um, I'd seen it when, you know, when I was at school as um, part of history lessons. Being an Australian, we get brought up, as I'm sure you do, as Irish people, get brought up with British history over and over and over. Um, Indeed. And, but it's, and it is fascinating, as long as it's not to the exclusion of our own history. But I, I think that it's... I, I don't never say never to anything. And I think the more you fill your head with different ideas and images and interpretations of anything, the, the more you have to draw on. But, for example, with Veronica, um, I remember Andrew, my husband, took the, the, the remote out of my hand and switched off a tape I was watching Veronica about four weeks into the shoot and said, you have to stop looking at her now because you simply have to tell the story. You cannot be worried about whether, you, you know... And so the same thing. It's like you don't watch Glenda Jackson doing something... Uh, to the detriment of your mm. own interpretation. But, it, of course, it's interesting. It's fascinating to see the way the story was told then. And what I loved about what Shaker wanted to do was it was irreverent. So, And I think that that's what, if anyone liked it, they liked it because it was different, I guess. I also give you an opportunity to appear on screen with Jeffrey Rush. Yes, yes. I never say no to that either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was really, Jeffrey was such an anchor, making, making Elizabeth. Now, again, I don't know in terms of choice how you actually choose roles or how you respond to people's reaction to a particular part, or again, even the sequence of events, but it would appear that after Elizabeth that you kind of opted for less profile, lower profile roles, or, you know, is, is that accurate? Or do you know, going into a movie, this is going to be a low-profile movie, this is going to be a high-profile movie? Does anybody know anything? Well, say, for example, in the shipping news, Petal, who I play, dies on page nine. That is what is called a very small part. (laughs) (laughs) There is no way around it. If you don't don't get into double figures on pages, Uh, fair enough. But when I read the novel, that was the part that interested me. And what happened to me after Elizabeth was that I was sent a lot of scripts... Um, In which they all wanted you to play 17th century monarchs. Uh, well, basically, <laughs> the same dilemma. Profiles in courage, whatever you, know, you want to call it. The same, basic, the same dilemma, change the names, change the period. And that would have bored me rigid. So I did what interests me. And maybe in retrospect, I think, well, maybe, yes, I was reserving the right to keep working. Because what happened to me in third year at drama school was that at the beginning of the year I... By default, someone pulled out. I played Electra. And at the end of the year, I played Rosalind in As You Like It. And um, because that didn't sit well with the rest of the you know, women in my year, and fair enough, I played a maid in another play. And that was one of the most important experiences I've ever had. Well, you didn't steal the show, did you? Oh, of course not. No, but I had about four lines. And what I, it was the trying to create a character out of very little that made me exercise acting muscles in a way that one doesn't get to do. 
So the writer wasn't doing the work for you, in a sense. Well, they, you they had did. to do it. Well, yourself. I mean, everything in the in the beginning, particularly on a good script, it was um, the heiress. It does come from the language, and I'm a great believer in good writing, choosing words specifically. Like when you work on mammoth, you don't change us, you know, mm. any of the punctuation, or well, he'd kill you. But um, that is what I've wanted to do in film as well. I, I'm not interested in the media's perception or anyone else's perception of what they think my career path should be. I mean, why would I be why would I be doing that? I've only ever done what interests me, and hopefully I can continue to, to do that. And do you decide, I want to have a bit of fun, I want to do this role, I just want to have a bit of fun now. The last role I did was very, very intense, and would that be why you would do something like Bandits, for example? Absolutely. Having done Bruce um, Willis and, and Billy Bob's And Billy, you? yeah, that was... Uh, I had such a good... I can't even begin to say it. It was fantastic. And having just done um, Heaven, which was from a Christoph Kieslowski script, which Tom Tickford directed, who did Run, Lola, Run, that was incredibly intense. And so then to go to, you know, Northern California and, and do a bit of a road movie with those two guys was fantastic. So, yes, I mean, you always mix things up. And, you know, some things work and some things don't. But, I mean, that's life, isn't it? <laughs> You mentioned the character Petal in the shipping news. Did you do that because she was such an appalling woman? Don't judge my character. <laughs> um, yeah, probably. Um, and also Lassa. I wanted to work with Lassa for quite some time and it had never quite worked out because he'd she been... only get to work with him for nine pages, for God's oh, sake. Oh, it was a great nine pages thing. <laughs> it was going in to, to do like a short film because they'd done the bulk of the filming. And... Just describe the role in case anybody hasn't seen. Well, they should see the shipping news because it's a super movie. Yeah, but. or read the book too. Mm. Um, it's uh, Petal is is the the wife of Kevin Spacey's character Coyle, and she's pretty bad seed, and um, she falls pregnant and and um, dies. But I mean, there's a lot more that happens. Go and see the movie. <laughs> But you are occasionally, at least, attracted to to roles like that in terms of in terms of the I suppose the light and shade of your acting career, or do you see your career? Do, in that? It's hard or do to you say. even think in terms no. of career? No, I don't. I mean, I I do think it's a vocation more than it is a career. But I I don't know what pulls me towards a script. In the end, it's probably the director, and it's something to do with the feeling around something. I say, with someone like The Gift, which I did a while ago with Sam Raimi. Billy Bob had told me about the, the script, but then nothing had sort of come of it, and I went on to do other things, and then it resurfaced, and then it sort of went away again, and then it resurfaced. So I thought, well, third time, I better, you know, run towards this. So I do find that the right sort of projects just kind of stick, really. You've also turned down some major roles. For example, you turned down... The- Pass, let's talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> but you turned down the opportunity just to play Clarice in Silence of the Lambs. Why did you do that? Just didn't want to do it. Um, <laughs> can we talk about Charlotte Grey? Sure. Why the character? Why was it? You did Charlotte Grey. You did it with Gillian Armstrong. You've talked about wanting to work with particular directors or liking or choosing projects because of particular directors. Was that because Gillian Armstrong was doing it or had you read the book? Um, I was in a production of Plenty on the West End and I'd read the book as, as I suppose, um, fictional research to once again sort of just make, fuel my imagination. And 
I was intensely moved by it. And I think Susan Traherne, in plenty, her reaction to her time in the Special Operations Executive was incredibly different to Charlotte, so very different characters. And then Sebastian wrote me a letter and said that if it was turned into a film, he thought I'd make a wonderful Charlotte, which was an enormous compliment. And then Ecos was making the... and Film 4 were making the film, and I'd read an early draft, and then... um, uh, and then Jill was attached. So it sort of... It was a slow uh, process, but a good one. Would you compare Charlotte Grey? Do you think Charlotte Grey would be, in many senses, similar to Veronica Guerin? No, I don't at all. Um... I think they both found themselves in extreme situations. But um, I think that, that Charlotte is someone who is quite immature, who matures. Um, that's, it's a sort of a journey of maturation, really. I think, uh, you know, also it's an, a love story. It's a very romantic film. And um, I think that, that Veronica was someone who, by all accounts, had an enormous reserve of energy and um, she seem, in, certainly in the film, she finds herself in circumstances which bring out, emphasise her own strength. I think she was an, um, an incredibly, I hate using the word strong, because it's, it's bandied about for women, you know, whenever they do anything, really. Um, but she was incredibly uh, strong-willed, I think, and had a very strong moral code. We've been talking a lot about reasons for choosing particular roles. I have read that the reason why you chose to play Galadriel in Lord of the Rings was because you wanted to appear in a movie wearing pointed ears. <laughs> well, it's not far from the truth. <laughs> um, you could have done Spock in Star Trek. <laughs> I suppose it would already done. It was three glorious weeks for me. They were shooting for 18 months, and I think Peter Jackson is a genius. And so to spend three weeks working with him and with Fran... His um, partner was glorious, and I'd do it again. And an opportunity to work in the Southern Hemisphere, even though possibly from an Australian's point of view in the wrong part of the Southern Hemisphere. Well, no, no, no. There is a a traditional rivalry. (laughs) To to drink New Zealand wine and go on a good New Zealand painting. The painting is alive and well in New Zealand. It's an an incredible... It's like Ireland, you know. It's a a small place with a small population with an... an intense and remarkable indigenous culture. It's phenomenal. I mean, when you think about how Irish culture has influenced the rest of the world, it's enormous. And I think probably in this next millennium, it's going to be New Zealand Why and Australia. And Australia, <laughs> of course. Why? I just think that there's a... Um, I, would have thought, I mean, Australian indigenous art, for example, is, I find, fascinating. Yes, no, I'm not, I suppose I'm not talking about indigenous art. I'm, I'm talking about... You just mean the art, the arts community generally in general. is alive and well. I think so, and and painting certainly, but I, I think that part of the reason is that Australia and New Zealand are perceived by the rest of the world as being so far away, but for me that's what enables them to retain their absolute individuality. To any European or to a lot of Europeans who have visited, who have had the opportunity to visit Australia, they ask themselves, why do Australians ever leave? Mm, and they, the Europeans tend to stay. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, it, it is... A, it is, is, a, is a point going to come where all the Australians are going to be in Europe and all the Europeans <laughs> are going to be in Australia? Well, I mean, this is the thing about Australia, is that it's such a, an eclectic mix of cultures anyway. 
Do you miss it? <laughs> yes, I do, daily. I mean, is it one of the happiest moments when you step onto a plane and you're heading back? Yes, although I'm not sure he's going to be so happy with a seven-month-old baby going back this year. <laughs> Touch wood, he'll, he'll be fine. But um, it's, it's, a long, it's a long trip, and I, I love that because it, you know, it, it, it's that journey home, it's that flight home. Yeah, absolutely. As the rain beats down <laughs> outside, as we look out at, uh, at Bullock Harbour in Dorky. Isn't it gorgeous? It, it's well, a lot well, like the coast of, a certain coast of New Zealand. I found Dorky. And the rain, certainly, for somebody who comes from Melbourne, who would be something you'd be well used to. Now, now. But, I mean, Dublin certainly, from experience of filming, it does have four seasons in one day, which made it very difficult for Brendan Galvin, who's a cinematographer, who is also a genius. One final question. Just how do you approach a role? Are you one of these people who... The Daniel Day-Lewis school of acting, who totally... Immer- you are Veronica Guerin from on set from the time you walk onto the set to the time you walk off and perhaps even when you go home at night or are you the um, uh, I think Timothy Hutton uh, would be one example of the of the other kind who just walks on does it and walks off again I don't have a particular way of working I think it changes role to role depending on the nature of the film because I do think the subject matter influences the way something is shot the way you rehearse something um, like Oleana is rehearsed very differently to a Chekhov simply because of the, na- the subject matter. I think for me, the more I do, the more one is able to move in and out of states. Um, that must, those muscles get exercised. And I, I like to think I don't bring my work home, um, particularly with a baby. You know? Does um, that make a dip? Does that, does that change your attitude? Having had, having had a baby, does it change your attitude to your work? Presumably it changes your attitudes, attitude to life. Yes, but I think in a good way. It, it's opened things up. I don't feel closed off. I feel like a whole new universe has opened up. And that's what I love about life. I, you know, I would never have imagined it would be like this. Kate Blanchett, thank you very much for talking to us. Pleasure. That was Kate Blanchett talking to Miles Dungan. The producer was Kevin Reynolds. Next week, Kei Shihi talks to the late Anthony Minghella.